This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. You are on a Thursday drive. It is WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad, where this is going to be our last live show of the week. It's live action, Tracy. Don't be alarmed. When you don't hear WD or myself tomorrow, I'll be in vacation. On vacation. Not in vacation. On vacation. For a few days in Florida. Florida vacation! Florida vacation! WD. Well, I don't know what he's going to be doing on his off day. We'll get to that perhaps later. But enough about that. Let's get to Duke football news. According to ESPN's Pete Thamel, Duke has made its choice to replace Mike Elko and its former Miami head coach, Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz, who spent the last couple of years as the D.C. for a very good Penn State defense. And this hire makes a ton of sense for the Blue Devils because at the onset, Nina King, the AD, made it clear she didn't want somebody to reboot Duke football like Mike Elko did a couple years ago. She wanted to find somebody who could build upon what Mike Elko did for the last couple of years. So here's the thinking with Manny Diaz. Head coaching experience. This is something we pointed to the day that Mike Elko left. Head coaching experience was probably going to be an important element here. Somebody who's not learning on the job. No. You look at what's already in place. You take the experience you've had working in the position, and you try to take things to the next level. And not only does he have head coaching experience, he has experience coaching in the ACC. Pretty good record in the ACC, too. In conference games, 16-9. and as Miami's coach. He even spent time in the state of North Carolina back when Chuck Amato and Phillip Rivers were here in the mid to early 2000s. Manny Diaz was an assistant coach. So he has ties to the state of North Carolina, obviously ties to the ACC, and Duke didn't want to go the first-time head coach route again. So you bring in Manny Diaz, who has a defensive background, just like Elko did, and you hope that he can secure that side of the ball the same way that he's secured the defense for Miami. Ton of dudes in the NFL. Manny Diaz coached with the Hurricanes, and as he's done at Penn State the last couple of years, Mike Elko, defensive guy, Manny Diaz, defensive guy. You want Diaz to just be a continuation on what Elko did, which brings us to the other side of the ball. This hire feels like it's predicated with, it's like one half of the equation. Manny Diaz is half of the equation. The other half, Duke fans hope, is Kevin Johns, the offensive coordinator, remaining in place who did not uh, follow Mike Elko to Texas A&M. A&M added Colin Klein, the offensive coordinator from K-State, to be Mike Elko's guy there. So, Kevin Johns? It needs to be a priority if you're going defensive coach, which it seems Duke's going to do, to keep Kevin Johns in town. Don't be surprised if he's named assistant head coach or something. Sell on the point that you don't have to move your family. You can stay home and continue working with these players that you've been recruiting. He probably will get a pay bump out of it. He gets a lot of control being an offensive-minded or being the offensive coordinator for a head coach that has a defensive background that would seem to be a good pairing. While everybody's talking about Manny Diaz today, what I hear is if Manny Diaz says, yeah, and it should be important to note, 
Duke has focused, that's what the reporting says, focused its search on Manny Diaz, which to translate it means they've chosen Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz has the next 24 hours to decide if he's going to accept the job and become Duke's head coach. And if he does, I hear Manny Diaz paired with Kevin Johns to try and continue what Duke has done. And getting into Manny's background at Miami, he didn't do a bad job with the Hurricanes. Again, I mentioned that conference record, 16-9. It's not bad. It didn't seem like he was given a fair shake with the Hurricanes. It seemed like he was scapegoated for the embarrassment of what college game day revealed once upon a time about the lack of resources that the Canes had. So they decided, oh, you guys don't think we're supporting the program enough? How about we make a coaching change and we pay Mario Cristobal a ton of money to come home and then you tell us how much money we're spending or how little money we're spending. That's kind of how it felt for Miami. It didn't really feel like Manny Diaz was all that deserving of being fired. He was scapegoated for things that really weren't his fault. And when you look at the recruiting he did at Miami, it was impressive. So you get an excellent defensive coordinator who has been, who has the bona fides defensively everywhere that he's gone, experience coaching in the ACC, head coaching experience, and really good recruiter as well added to that. I, I really like, I think this hire makes a lot of sense for Duke. It really does. On X at WSJS Radio, if you want in, that's where we're streaming video in addition to YouTube and Twitch. Will Dalton, the executive producer of the show. WD, how are you going to be spending your day off tomorrow? <sighs> I might watch some movies. I don't believe you. <laughs> I did watch No Country for Old Men. That's I, how excited I was last night when yeah. learning that was your movie for next week. Yeah, I watched the trailer for it here today. So you'll wait till Monday probably to watch that, yeah. or Tuesday morning no, to fire that Monday up. Monday night, yeah. I'll probably play some Fortnite. No, uh, who knows? I was going to joke probably playing video games, yeah. but there you go. No joke. You'll also host the show on Monday. I'll be back no on Tuesday. Again, no live show tomorrow. Here's a prediction for the Carolina Panthers game in New Orleans on Sunday. In the fourth quarter of this game, mark my words, Carolina's going to have the ball with an opportunity to win. They're going to have a chance to win this game because over the last month, they've come close more times than not. Yes, they only have one win this year. We all can count, even though some of us who went to East Carolina. But they've had three one-score losses in their last four games, two of those three by field goals. This is the NFL, where everything's close in the fourth quarter, and the law of averages tell you that one of these times you come close, you're going to figure out a way to win a game. Plus, the New Orleans Saints, are they are not a good football team. They are not. They've lost three in a row. The numbers say they're not good. How about this in terms of similarities with the Panthers? Tied for 31st in sacks, team sacks, with the Carolina Panthers. Tied for 23rd in rush defense across the NFL with the Carolina Panthers. The fact that New Orleans struggles against the run is something that should trigger something in your head because Chuba Hubbard last week became the first Panther this year to hit 100 yards rushing in a game. So that's a plus. Could give Carolina a shot. Bryce Young, he's going to be playing a repeat opponent for the first time this year. 
So already played the Saints in that Monday night football game in week two. That was very early on in the Bryce Young experience. Now we're here in the month of December getting an opponent for the second time. Here was Bryce Young talking about the growth that he's experienced from week two to now. Yeah, I definitely feel more comfortable just in the system, in the offense. Um, obviously, there's been change in movement, but it's still been the, the same system. Um, so because of that, you, you get more comfortable. And also just in, in managing situations and um, you know trying to be more efficient pre-snap and operation-wise, um, that was something especially you know that back then, week two, that um, I think we've, we've gotten a lot better. I've gotten a lot better at controlling. Um, so I, I think those are some things. So Carolina's going to have the ball with the chance to win this game. And what's going to happen? There's no way you could pick Carolina to win this game. Now, this, again, isn't me saying they can't win this game. They're going to have an opportunity. They are. But me especially can't pick the Carolina Panthers to win again. Just can't do it. Can't do it. Not on the road. Not against a team with five wins while you've got one. Can't do it. But don't be surprised if Carolina does. This will be a tight game in the fourth quarter. And much like we've seen over the last month, the team playing the Panthers will hold on. Saints 20, Panthers 16. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. WD's telling me we got one, maybe two more pairs of tickets to go see Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service together in Raleigh next year. 336-777-1600. First to call in gets tickets to that show right now. 336-777-1600. Brian Geisinger joins us now, and I'm excited to talk Wake Hoops. Last night, they beat Rutgers by 19, Efton Reed back in the fold. But prior to that happening, BG fired me up with one of his thorough breakdowns that he had this week for 24-7 sports. One of the smartest basketball people we have on regularly. You should check out that story. Talking about what Wake has done with these guards, Hunter Salas and Cam Hildreth, putting up results that mirror what we've seen in past years, exciting lineups with Alondis Williams and Ty Appleby. Now that we have a pretty decent sample size of what Wake can do offensively under Steve Forbes, what does he do that is so different? Is there a common thread that you point to? I don't know if there's something he does that's like different, but what he is one of the best at, Steve Forbes and his staff, is setting up, um, finding like, you know, good players to fit their system, but then really tailoring the scheme to the strengths of those players. Like, I don't think it's any accident that we're on year three now of a transfer guard coming in and all of a sudden having a, a career breakout season, right? Like, I mean, some of that is is a mentality thing. It's the staff, Steve Forbes, empowering these players, but it's also them putting them in, in, in great spots and really giving them the green light. Alanis Williams, Jake Laravia, Ty Appleby, now it's Hunter Salas, <laughs> you know, a former blue chip recruit that was kind of a, you know, a bit or a you know bit player or, you know, lightly used player for two seasons at Gonzaga. He shows up here. Now he's one of the top guards um, in the ACC, but they just do a nice job also using those guards together. Um, oftentimes we've seen this going back for a couple of years now using Cam Hildreth as a screener 
They used to use Jake LaRavia as a screener for Alondis Williams. For those guys, if you want to switch those actions and you have someone like Cam Hildreth who can is strong enough to go into the post, or you've got a guy like Kevin Miller that's really fast and can turn the corner, and you got a guy like Hunter Salas that's just shooting the heck out of the ball and making good decisions, hitting those skip passes. So I just think it's a nice job of blending those guys together and using their strengths to sort of bounce off of one another. And then certainly, like, I'm not in the locker room, so I, I don't – know sort of like what the mentality is but just from the outside looking in it's very clear that these guys are are given a, a freedom um to really be creative and play to their strengths at, at wake forest and like it's a it's a huge credit to uh, to coach forbes and the staff you have a great grasp of wake forest's history considering you're from here you're a winston-salem guy you followed the deeks very closely and you followed the acc closely enough to know how quickly Steve Forbes has risen the floor of what Wake can be. Back-to-back winning seasons, that's something that hasn't happened uh, since 2010, since Dino Gaudio was coaching this team. The Jeff Bizdelic and Danny Manning eras were pretty dark at points. But, you know, Connor O'Neill, he's been here for most of it too. And an hour ago, he's not one for overstatement that often. We have him, very, we have him on quite often. And uh, Connor, he said to me... When, with Efton in the lineup, and Efton Reed had 12 points, 14 boards last night, uh, 12 points, 14 boards is a stat line that hasn't happened since Alondis did it a couple years ago. That changes the tra- tra- trajectory of Wake completely of having an effective big there, another highly touted kid, kind of like you were talking about with Salas transferring in. And he mentioned that Tamari Montano, obviously, is on the way too. And when that happens, when you get both those guys mixed into this nucleus that you just described, you could be talking about one of the four maybe three best teams in the ACC in terms of talent that Wake Forest has. What excites you the most about what Wake could be when Monsanto and Efton Reed both get mixed in? Well, the first thing for Reed, I would just say for a guy like him, just nail the defense. Like, be a force at the rim, protecting the hoop, clear the defensive glass, be a problem uh, for opposing offenses when you're in drop coverage. You know, be at the right spots, use your size, use your length, because the offense is going to like it's going to take care of itself just by like screening and diving hard, ducking in on post ups. Um, He just plays with awesome guards like there's going to be tons of high percentage looks for him. So just like nail the defense and for whatever it's worth, like I didn't see Efton much at Gonzaga last year. Uh, I watched him a good bit at LSU a couple of years ago, including when they played against Wake Forest. I think he's, I mean, it's been two years, but I just think he's moving a little bit better. Like he's, maybe my maybe my memory is incorrect. I remember him being like a little bit more plotting, but I just thought the way he was moving last night. I think was, he had 15 really in the game. I think he had 15 in that game against Wake two years ago. Yeah. Right, right. As like a, you know, with, them, with Will Wade just, you know, punching it into him in the post. Like he really was like a high volume sort of like back to the basket guy. He can clearly do more. Um, as you could see, like as soon as he got in the game last night, they threw they were throwing it to him in the high post and running cutters off of him. So now they've got it, you know, with Andrew Carr, they already had a front court guy that you could play through at the elbows and above the break. And now with uh with Reed, it looks like you maybe even have a have another one. So they're one of the things that is gonna be tough about Wake is just how many how many places on the floor with how many different players they can initiate offense with. Like they've got at least three guards. And in car in the, in the at the forward spot and, and maybe Reed potentially too, but for him it's really it's just nailing the defense. Um, this Wake's offense is going to be good this year. Steve Forbes 
is a very good coordinator of offense. There's a ton of talent. If this, but Wake's defense can't be, uh, you know, it's got to be like a top 50, top 60 defense. It can't be a top 100 defense. That's how they really squeeze the most out of their offensive firepower. And then for a guy like Monsanto, like I've talked about it on your show before. I've written about it plenty. He's not just like a good three-point shooter. Like he is almost in a category of his own in terms of like volume and range shooting off the catch and wake Steve Forbes and his staff have done a really good job um, leaning into that Uh, using him, using his shooting, having him come off screens, then tripping out opposing defenses by having Monsanto be a screener to get other guys open. Um, What I like most about Reed is that everything he does can be additive because like he's just stepping into a role that's right there for him. Monsanto will have to, you know, they'll have to scheme him, get him into a rhythm, that type of stuff. But his shooting and range is just like off movement is such a diff. It's such like a huge piece that um, of course you want that in the rotation, but it's just very easy to see wakes top six, seven players putting together a really, really nice offense around that, uh, that group. Brian Geisinger has the breakdown. 24-7 24-7 sports, you can read that. Wake Forest uses new tricks, scheme, versatility to defeat Florida last week. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, BG, let's transition to the NBA. It's time to outprecise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. You ready for the in-season tournament semis tonight? Yeah, it's exciting. It's been fun. It's the closest thing. It's the closest thing to college basketball we've seen the NBA get to. Single elimination, neutral site. That's how it kind of feels. It's cool. It's been fun. I mean, I I had a feeling this was going to work, and uh, and yeah, like I I think it's been a a pretty smashing success. Definitely some ways they can tweak it and improve it, but so far so good. Yeah, get rid of the point differential stuff. I'm not a big fan of that, but yeah, like you said, starting spot. That's that's a way to start. Uh, with it. Okay, WD, what do you have? Let's actually start out with the in-season tournament with, I mean, Pacers-Bucks is going on right now. Bucks up two, or Thank Bucks you. up by two right why, now. Why do we have a TV in the studio and I don't have this on? I don't know. That's, that's a you problem. That is uh, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, he's got one of the top three-point percentages in the league for the Pacers. What is his three-point percentage against the Bucks specifically? How many times has he played the Bucks? I don't know. Oh, are we talking like <laughs> historically just, just, or like this year? I'm talking about this year. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about this year. I assume it's um, a pretty high number. It is. Uh, it turns out when you shoot 45% from threes, you probably shoot it pretty well mm. against uh, everyone. The Milwaukee also a drop coverage team, so a lot of pull-up three-point opportunities there. Um, I'll go 53% for Halley, uh from deep against the Bucks. What's that say? 55. That's what I have written down. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's 55.6. Hey! Look at you, Josh. First time I've what? gotten one. <laughs> wow. That doesn't happen I'll, often. I'll take it, man. Yeah. That's a I'll, silly number, man. It really is a silly number. Yeah. That, that is silly. He's he's super good. With that said, the NBA is rooting like heck that he loses today. I think. I think, probably. Yeah, but who who cares? Yeah. What the who cares what the suits think? Care. Yeah, I don't care. I'm not a TV exec. That's right. Getting to... The other game tonight, Pelicans-Lakers. Brandon Ingram, he leads the Pelicans 
in scoring right now. Josh is getting his Zion action figure out right now. Yeah, I do. I gotta... <laughs> Robert Walsh gave me this gift for Christmas last yeah. year. He's like, you. I remember how much you loved Zion, and I'm like, who dislikes Zion? So I have a I, Zion action figure. I like how in the, the action figure, the way he's frozen in that box, that's Zion playing defense. I'm sure. <laughs> I love the fact that they give me like, like, also for, there's like a little basketball here. That. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that little basketball? I don't anyway, know. Uh, B.I. leads the Pelican in scoring. How many points per game does he score or has he scored this year? Let's go. Let's go 24 per game for B.I. I got 28.5 written down. Okay. It doesn't matter if I can read it or not. It's 23.7. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. I think I woke the beast. <laughs> Pels are good. I mean, that might be the, the, like the NBA may have woke the beast with the Pels too. They're, they're playing, they're healthy and, and playing good ball with Trey Murphy back. Let's raise morale and get a Hornets question in here, shall we? Oh, good. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Last Love night was my awesome. day ruined here. Last, <laughs> yeah. last night was awesome. 11 point loss and no LaMelo still. And even though Gordon Hayward played pretty well in the first half, not great. Now, I will say, though, the one, one of the few positive points of the Hornets this year has been Mark Williams. He's currently fourth in the league in field goal percentage. What is it? Yeah, they didn't have him last night. He's dealing with a back injury. They could use him badly. I uh, don't know if you guys caught the camera of Steve Clifford screaming at Nick Richards too, <laughs> to set the bleeping screen for Brandon Miller during the game last night. Uh, 65% for Mark Williams. I got 57 written down. Boy, be you... He, right on the 65.3 he knew <laughs> i mean the hornets numbers are like um i look at those every day from so. the buzz pete bod <laughs> yeah <laughs> you did wake the beast gosh why'd you, you have to do that yeah you were just throwing meatballs for <laughs> well clearly not guys are in there you got to check the, the hornets basketball reference page more and yeah. see how bad they're doing except for mark williams this is really going to be a spectacle tonight. It like is. LeBron's walking in right now, it. and yeah, it's uh, cool. that, why are we why are we tipping off the second game at nine o'clock? Like this game's gonna this game's probably gonna end around seven thirty. I guess since you're sharing a court, like clearing out things, and the arena looks fantastic. It does. I yeah. I'm about this. Uh huh. It took us a while to cool. get here. Yeah, it's. I didn't love the first few weeks where I'm like, wait, this is does this count against the standings? This, oh, so point differential and all that. But once we got to Tuesday, once we got to Tuesday, that was great. It's mm -hmm. my feeling on it. BG, it's good to see you. Enjoy uh, watching the basketball, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you all soon. Introducing the world's greatest entertainer, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Two and three last week. Still five over for the season. Send me that cash out, fam. Hashtag trust the process. Graham's gambling. Not a wide slate of college games to get to. Really only one college game on Saturday. Do I have a play on it? You bet I do. Can't miss the opportunity to bet on a college football game if Send the college cash football out, game fam. is in front of you. So we've got a fantastic four-pack to hand out right now 
and Graham's Gambling. If you're not gambling, come on now, let's talk some money. You're not trying. You're so money, you don't even know it, but you do. Let's play some bets. I'm going to make you rich. This is Graham's Gambling. All right. The pageantry. The lack of points that are scored ever in this game. America's game. The Army-Navy game. Army is laying two and a half against the mids. And I think the mids are mid. Kenny Amatololo isn't in Annapolis anymore. Navy's taking a step back. Meanwhile, Army still has Jeff Munkin. Army started the season off rough. They're trying to get the six wins. They've won three in a row going in, and they've beaten some good teams. Handled Air Force by 20. Beat Coastal Carolina as well. And beat Holy Cross, too, which, by the way, their head coach just took an FBS job. He's done a nice job at the FCS level. Army's not bad. Navy is. I'm getting less than a field goal here to lay. No problem with that. Army, minus two and a half, but really, America, minus two and a half. Send me that cash up, fam. America, minus a million, probably more what that line should be, getting good value at just two and a half. Getting to the NFL. WD, how much do I like home divisional dogs? You like them pretty good. Like them quite a bit. Quite a bit. So I'm going to be undeterred, fearful. Fearless, I should say. The opposite of fearful. When I take the Chicago Bears plus three and a half against the Detroit Lions on Sunday. Oh. Chicago has played better over the last month. They've won two of their last three. The one loss was against the Lions, but it was by a, just a few points. I think four or five points. Played them close in Detroit. Now we're in the elements in Chicago. Bubba home divisional dog. And we're taking the Bears plus a field goal and change against the Lions. Send me that cash up, fam. Cowboys-Eagles. That's the big game this weekend in the NFL. Thought about really taking both sides of the ledger here. Instead, we're going to go with the total. Cowboys-Eagles over 51 and a half. The Eagles, they are going through a ringer right now. Here's who they've played, WD, in recent weeks. Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, and now Dallas again. That just wears down on a team. And when you look at a weakness that the Eagles have had this year, it's their secondary. Dallas is cooking the way that they throw the ball. They're indoors. They obviously don't want to get swept in the season series. A lot on the line here. This looks like a shootout. So we're going to go over 51 and a half. Perhaps Jalen Hurts will pick on you know, Deron Bland a bit. The Cowboys have had difficult with running quarterbacks. Here's Jalen Hurts. All of this points to a high-scoring game. We're going over 51 and a half. Send me that cash up, fam. And lastly, the other marquee game on Sunday, the Chiefs facing the Bills. Kansas City laying just a point and a half. This line stinks. It stinks, I tell you. The Chiefs at home, defending champs off a loss against a 6-6 Bills team. How's this line just a point and a half? Now, I'm sure injuries factor into this, but WD, I'm not overthinking it. Give me Kansas City to not lose two in a row. Not to lose 
to to Jordan Love and company, and then at home to Josh Allen. I, I don't think it'll happen. I think Kansas City bounces back to win this game, and Kansas City's defense has actually been pretty good this year. In a way, they weren't through some of these Super Bowl runs. I think they force a few turnovers of Josh Allen. I don't think this Bills team is all that great, so I don't have, I don't have a problem laying the point and a half for Kansas City. Send me that cash out, fam. So, in review, Army minus two and a half against Navy. Go Army, beat Navy. Bears, go dub Bears, plus three and a half in Chicago against the Lions. Cowboys, Eagles, high, high number of points. 51 and a half, we're going over. And the Chiefs, minus a small number against the Bills. Those are the four picks in Graham's Gambling. This Send me week. that cash out, family. WD. Yes. Coffee bet. You Cof- beat me yeah. three weeks in a row. Yep. We're Can about I to make guess it. which one you're going to go with? Probably. We're about to make it four. You're going with the Lions, aren't you? Oh, you better believe it. Really? Bears over the Lions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was Can you go bit. ahead and order my coffee now? Like, get it ready for Monday? Well, I'm not going to be here Monday. Tuesday? Yeah, we'll we'll get you it next week if if you're right. Yeah, well, if you're right, Bears. And we get four straight. Just saying that the Bears stink. Division games, uh, they haven't stunk recently. They have. Lines are really good. Also, are they coming off a bye? I should probably know that before. I, I actually don't think so. Before I I bet on these things, I probably should. I don't think they're coming off a bye. Uh, let me let me take a look at that real quick. Yeah, they're coming off a bye. Oh, would you look at that? They still stink. They're yeah. gonna lose. Bears coming off a bye, winning two of their last three. Uh, I'm trying to look at the last time they got cooked. Like the last time they were beaten badly. October. Yeah. It's the last time they were beaten by, in a multiple score game. The Lions yeah, are pretty I'm, I'm the just, Lions are good there. The, the, again, the Lions aren't bad. The NFL. It's a it's a one score sport, man. It is, but what it is. Like, I mean, the Lions barely snuck out of New Orleans with a win last week. Yeah. And then we're cooked by the Packers on Thanksgiving. I'm just saying. Yeah. This isn't me saying that the Bears are better than the than the Lions. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just I'm just saying. Find, I'm picking a spot, and I, I see a spot where I can get some value with a home divisional dog. I'm just saying. Venti, vanilla iced coffee, no cream. Thank you. It's the Drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. I am thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are mirror images. And when we kiss them, this show is all about accountability. WD, what happens when I make a wrong prediction on this show? I make you a Sarah McLaughlin for it. And at times you make me buy coffee. Every week. <clears throat> Connor O'Neill is joining the show. <laughs> what on earth are we listening to right now? <laughs> There's only one sound I should hear if Connor O'Neill. There we go. There we go. I was vibing to the intro song. It's good, it- right? Ran a little long, and then I remembered that I should be hearing. I actually know what that song is. It's the Postal Service's "Such Great Heights," one of the best songs ever, but still not Connor O'Neill's theme song. So Connor WD deserves a little bit of shame there. So we'll give him a little bit of shame. However, we need. There's a lot for us to get to with you. A lot of stuff with Duke. We'll get to that in a second. Last night, Wake Forest. Who boy, 19 point win against Rutgers, and Efton Reed made his great return, and you know, talk about a 
total. Uh, uh, Demon Deacon hasn't put up since Alondis Williams a few years ago. And his debut, 12 points, 14 rebounds. In terms of sheer talent, when they get Damari Monsanto back into the fold too, could this be Steve Forbes' most talented team? If you just look at it, talent alone at Wake Forest. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it, it's it's tough to gate. Like the only thing that keeps me from being full on board with that is we don't know what level Damari Monsanto is going to come back at. Like we, he's he's had two catastrophic or major injuries in the last two years. He came back from the Achilles really well and really quickly. This one, the recovery process has been longer than they thought it would be. So. I don't know what level of player they'll get back when they get Damari back. Um, hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Um, certainly based on one game of Efton Reed and based on the preseason comments from Steve, uh, the media day comment about him changing Wake's trajectory has always stuck with me for about a month and a half now. Um I mean, it took what all of three minutes of him being in a game to see that happen. Right. With, yeah. yeah, he had the 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 moment that stuck out to me was um, before he got his first bucket, where he skies above everybody else and gets a rebound. And basically, you want to use the football term, he high pointed the ball and got a brought down a defensive rebound, which this team needs. And then ran the floor, got post position, got a got a feed, and made turn around and made a little hook shot through contact, and that's a three point play and. That's something that just hasn't been available to this team. So he brings another dimension. Um, when they get Damari back, if it's the same Damari that they had last year, yeah, that's a – we're not even talking top half of the ACC. We're talking maybe top three or four in the ACC. Connor O'Neill with us here. Assuming they don't slip up against New Jersey Institute of Technology, Delaware State, Presbyterian, getting to ACC play – how I know a lot of this depends on how the rest of the league performs, but what's a magic number that you circle right now, given what we now know about the out-of-conference for Wake and what wins they were able to get, a round number that you circle and say, yeah, that should be good enough? In terms of ACC wins? Yeah. Man, I, I, I'd see 13 or 14 out there. Um, God, what was their number... They had 13 and 22, 13. and they were left out because of the perception yeah. of the league. And and because it, it was it was the wrong 13. Like, that's how asinine it became. Um, At Virginia was not a quad one win. Right. Uh, home against Carolina that went to the NCAA, went to the championship game that year. That wasn't a quad one. Um, but, yeah, 13 or 14, I would say. Um, that's what you think they can do this, this year with Carolina being good. It's not what you need to do, right? The, the ceiling, honestly, if, if all things go right and if Tamari Monsanto is able to come back and be that guy and like everybody else stays healthy, the development keeps coming. You might be talking more about a 15 win ceiling or, or dare you say, I mean, wow, gosh, they're, just, they're just so complete. Uh, again, it's just one game. Um, I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself with, with how good Efton Reed looked last night. Also reminding myself that Clifford Amori is one of the better centers in the conference, in the, no, not the conference, they're not in the Big Ten. But he was but, Big uh, Ten 
all defensive team. Yeah, he he's a monster. I mean, he dominated Wake last year up in Piscataway. So that that's a hell of a debut. Um, without getting too far ahead of yourself here, um, it's 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 a Wake team that looks like they could win 13, 14, or fifteen games in the ACC. We're gonna let Brian Geisinger nerd out in about an hour about how Wake's offense looks and all the things that Efton Reed brings to that. Connor O'Neill is with us here on WSJS. Getting to the Duke piece of it. Based on the information you have, is Manny Diaz a done deal, or how, how far are you willing to go? It's not a done deal yet. Um, you only got to go back to this weekend with Duke's bowl game to see why you wait for things to be official. Uh, they, they were headed to the Gasparilla Bowl until they weren't, and they're headed to Birmingham now. There's a little bit of difference between Tampa and Birmingham. Slightly. Um, like I, I think it gets done, but until it does, uh, I'm just not willing to say, okay, let's all think about who Manny Diaz wants as his offensive coordinator. Is he going to retain some of the defensive coaches? Like all the, all that stuff just needs to wait. Um, he's clearly the guy that Duke wants. He's clearly, his name was early on in the process. Um, he interviewed last week. If, if I had to wager a guess, he's had a few more interviews in the last couple of days. Uh, it's usually how the process goes. Uh, it's, it's how Duke's timeline went last year. Um, you know, but again, in, in terms of the let's not get ahead of ourselves and let's not put too many feet in front of it's, of, of themselves or, or however that metaphor goes, what I'm trying to say here is yeah. – uh, I think this day two years ago is the day that everybody was convinced Jason Garrett was going to get the job. And then it was Friday that it was Mike Elko was, was the leader in the clubhouse and all things pointed toward Mike Elko. So there was a Tony Elliott day in that too, but speaking of offensive minds, right. uh, Right. Kevin Johns is not following Mike Elko to A&M. What does choosing another defensive minded coach, whether it be Diaz or, you know, somebody else if it falls through. What does that say, if anything, about Duke's willingness to keep uh, Kevin Johns as DOC? I think it says some things. Um, I, I would be curious. I haven't done the research yet uh, into – do you have know off the top of your head who Manny Diaz's offensive coordinator was in Miami? It was uh, Rhett Lashley was his okay. offensive coordinator. Can't imagine he's available now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious, uh, whether Kevin Johns will stay aboard or not. Um, there's plenty of good offensive minds in college football. Kevin Johns is one of them. Um, I, I tend to think it's harder to find good defensive minds than it is find good offensive minds. Just the way football is pointed right now. Um, so I, I don't know if it's like the end of the world if they don't retain Kevin Johns yeah. at Duke. Rhett Lashley, for those who don't know, I know Connor does, is going to be a head coach of the ACC next year, so you should know who he is. SMU's head coach. Okay, speaking of broader college football things, you still got that Heisman vote. I do. I can't tell you who I voted for. I know for. you can't tell me who you voted for, but you can tell me what went into the decision. What types of things did you value? Uh, one of the things I've come to really dig my heels into is how you play in the biggest games. 
Um, not even necessarily looking at like because it's such an offensive award, mm-hmm. um, and because there were no real defensive candidates this year in my mind. And remind um, people, is it five names that you have to write down or three? Just three. Three names. And three. all three of the names you wrote you wrote down were probably finalists. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um not even nece- so not even necessarily looking at who the best statistical defenses that those players were, just like the biggest games. I want to see how you played when the lights were the brightest, when all eyes were on you when your team needed you the most. Uh, did you step up? That's the kind of thing that I've kind of come to look for. Cause when you just look at the boilerplate stats, I mean, all the stats are going to be ridiculous. It's, it's gotten to the point, like I can't imagine how they did Heisman voting 30 years ago when you had guys winning the Heisman through like 20 interceptions. I think, yeah. I think uh, Trent Dilfer, the year he won the Heisman had like 28 interceptions or 26, something that like, would be unheard of in in this day and age of what the Heisman vote has become and the way we've come to value uh, the ball and and kind of frown upon quarterbacks that just throw the ball up for grabs as often as they do or did back then. Yeah, the the numbers certainly have changed, and we'll all take what you just said there and try to figure out who it is that you voted for. We'll all find out together on Saturday. Connor O'Neill... Thanks for the time, my friend. I'll see you sometime soon. Appreciate it.